Join Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. When you look at all all the data connected to just general success, not just in entrepreneurship, but in life, it's those, it's that 5%. Those are the people that you really want to align yourself with and interact with and learn from because those are the people that are going to improve your life and make you a lot more successful. This is the Business Leadership Podcast and I'm your host, Edwin Frondozo. Thank you for taking your time to join me today. On this week's episode, I'm excited to share the conversation that I had with Liam Martin, the co-founder and chief marketing officer of timedoctor.com and staff.com, which are tools that help manage remote employees' productivity. He is also the co-organizer of runningremote.com, which is the largest conference on remote work that's held in Bali, Indonesia each year. With over eight years in the remote workspace, he has impacted over one million remote workers using one of his products. It's a great topic on how business leaders need to think about remote workers and the teams that they manage. In our conversation, we talk about growing and scaling his business with 100% remote workers. He shares how he is helping his partner run her chain of mermaid schools aqua mermaid and lastly he shares his thoughts on the advantages of remote workers and why business leaders need to really think about trying it today's business leadership podcast is sponsored by true shield insurance as a proud supporter of canadian startups and entrepreneurs true shield offers solutions that help protect you from the risks you may face today tomorrow or down the road true shield no small business learn more at trueshield.ca now here we go Welcome to the Business Leadership Podcast, Liam. Thanks for having me, Edwin. I'm super excited to have you join us. And I know we're going to get into it as we talk. A lot to learn personally from you and how you've grown and scaled some of your endeavors. But Liam, I'd love it if you could just start off by introducing yourself to the listeners today Tell us who you are and what you like to do when you're not growing and scaling businesses. Oh, man, what I'd like to do when I'm not doing that. Uh, yeah. That's difficult. So first off, Leah Martin from Planet Earth, more specifically in Montreal, Canada. On Planet Earth, I'm looking up at a beautiful sky. It's about 24 degrees Celsius because I'm Canadian, and uh, I have been the co-founder of a few tech companies timedoctor.com, staff.com, and running remote. The first two are managing our tools to manage remote teams. And then the third one is a conference on building and scaling remote teams. And I'm very passionate about everything connected to remote work. In my free time, I help my uh, partner with her business, which is she runs a chain of mermaid schools throughout North America and the Middle East called aqua mermaid and you literally put on like a mermaid tail and you swim in a pool 
<laughs> so it sounds like Liam, and just just to rephrase what you said, when you're not working and growing businesses, you're working and growing businesses with uh, with your significant other at this Bingo. point. Bingo! <laughs> yeah. So like, I actually really liked this as a challenge. I thought to myself because yes. I'm always in software, and I thought to myself, and I'm, I'm as the co-founder of the company, I'm responsible for marketing. So I'm I would call myself the CMO realistically, but that's a very I think b- b- below a couple hundred people, you really kind of are still doing a lot of different jobs, but I'd be defined as a CMO. And I really liked the challenge of doing something that was completely polar opposite from, uh, from software, which was mermaid schools, and seeing whether we could actually market that and turn it into a viable business. And thankfully, it is a viable business. She has locations in 16 different countries all over the world, and everything's going great. And it's a very interesting things that didn't work in software work beautifully in her business. And some things that work beautifully in her business don't work at all in mine. So it's, uh, it was an interesting way for me to kind of flex my marketing muscle. Yeah. So, and, and that's really interesting. And then definitely, uh, I guess exercises, like you said, y- your marketing muscle, you, the, the business brain that you have, what, what can you share was the biggest, I guess, aha or surprise that you learned from going away from leading or, or growing software sales uh, to going to something like this? So there were things that I just didn't think worked. And I realized that it was because I was selling a completely different thing. So as an example, Time Doctor is a time tracking company. Okay, so we basically measure remote employees and see how long they're working. And then we can report that data back to the employer. And this is boring. People don't really like time tracking fundamentally. We try to make it as easy as humanly possible, but it's not something that people necessarily are super excited about learning about uh, about learning. In comparison, mermaiding is something that every little girl or young woman before, below the age of 50 who has watched The Little Mermaid has dreamed of doing their entire life. So things like social media are incredibly easy on Aqua Mermaid, which is my girlfriend's company, and very difficult on Time Doctor, which is the software company uh, that, that I run. So it's interesting the way that those two differences happen. Uh, one is I have an emotional problem right now, which is I need to track the amount of time that's being spent inside of my business. And then the other one is I have this emotional need to be a mermaid and I've been given this opportunity now to be able to go to this school and make my dream come true. Wow. I mean, that, that's, it's really fascinating. And I was, as you were talking, Liam, I was thinking about how I would even like think about um, situations like that. Cause for the most part, I've been like you doing B2B, um, leading those type of solutions and services and working just within the business sense. And this is not only away from technology, it's uh, B2C as well. And, and not selling dreams, but at least fulfilling some childhood, um, I would say fantasies, I guess, right? Or, or, uh, absolutely. Yeah, really cool. I think it's a very far away from, and it's the same concept for VoIP, right? Like, you want voice over IP services. Okay. Well, uh, what features do you have that other people have that yeah. you don't have or do have? It's a very methodological quantitative game. Yes. And it's very difficult to add some type of emotionality inside of it. Mm. But with mermaiding, it's all emotion. 
that's the entire run. That's the entire game is to get people to that emotional state. And there's different ways of slicing that. Um, to be honest with you, one of the ways that we've done that is with running remote, which is our conference on building and scaling remote teams. We realized people were passionate about building remote teams, but they weren't necessarily passionate about the tools inside of building a remote team of which we are one. So we said, well, let's follow up on the passion. And, you know, we were spending for every dollar that we would spend on, let's say, social media on Time Doctor, Mm -hmm. or sorry, on on running remote, we'd have to spend 10 on Time Doctor to be able to hit the same numbers. So we realized it was just don't spend your bullets on something that doesn't work for that particular vertical, either change the vertical and use those other tools in your tool chest or just forget about them. Yeah, no, exactly. And I, and I could definitely relate, you know, as you mentioned, telecom, voice or IP, not the sexiest technology in the world, let me tell you. <laughs> um, exactly. So I, I know you, you mentioned your organizations and you, super high level of what, what you do. And, and obviously, you gave yourself sort of a C-level title, but you are doing a number of things. Can you share with us right now I guess specifically, you know, maybe even how you divide your time. Like, what are your roles when it comes to the two different companies, and how they how do they differ? And if you could share, what do you, what are you trying to accomplish over the next six to twelve months? Sure. So, I mean, if you want to get super tactical, uh, for me, most of my day is now spent just doing meetings with other people. So, we're at about a hundred people right now, and that is the point at which. I should not be actively doing any frontline work because if you are doing some type of frontline work, then that means that you don't have your systems and processes in place. So all that I do is I meet with other people and I make sure that they're getting their work done. That's and, and doing it effectively. So how can I build, how can I put in a course correction for them where they need to readjust and get onto the right path? Or how can we reorganize a team as an example and get it towards the right path? Uh, but I mean, just very, very deep dive. It's um, social media team, SEO team, paid acquisition team, split testing team, optimization team, um, and they all have team leaders. And then I just meet with those guys and make sure that the ones that basically need the most attention, those are the ones that I pay the most attention to. And we just kind of grind it out and figure out what they need to do to be successful. Yeah. So just um, from what you're talking about and what's really interesting for myself and, and also for those who may be listening is, you know, you talk about not being on the front line anymore. I'd love it if you could share when, not only when you had that realization that you had to get behind some people, but also really trust the team, the processes, the systems that you put in place that you never have to do a frontline, you know, I mean, obviously you would, if you have to, if something catastrophic happens, right? Like, but like, talk to me about sort of that growth and that mindset that you had to personally go through to, to, you know, accelerate that at that point. Sure. I would say that it was around the 50 person mark that I really realized that I needed to not be doing frontline work. And a lot of this actually stems from your ego, personally, as an entrepreneur, 
In essence, what we're talking about is the transition from entrepreneurship to executive. Those two people don't exist in the same person, unfortunately. So you either are an entrepreneur, meaning like you're doing your zero to one type of thing. You are going from something that people didn't believe in to something that people are believing in and giving you dollars for. Once you've accomplished that and you know your growth trajectory, particularly in SaaS, everything is very easy at that point. And then it's just, are you going to be a $2 million ARR business or a $100 million ARR business? And that really boils down to how you can execute as an executive, not as an entrepreneur. So that's really what I've been doing the last couple of years is, ha- is just been continuously trying to take different parts of what I do because, you know, entrepreneurs are doing, well, just me, I was, I was doing SEO. I was learning everything I could about SEO. I was doing uh, paid advertising on Facebook, on YouTube, on Google, uh, on Instagram. And I was doing things like <clears throat> social media marketing. Um, I was doing large ad buys. I'm doing all these different types of things, but all of them actually require a lot of experience to execute on. So I'm doing all of those things, but I'm probably doing them not very well. Mm -hmm. But what you need to do is have someone that's an absolute expert and doing that can do that one thing, can do SEO way better than you can, and then hire that person and put them in that position. And sometimes that's very expensive, dependent upon where you're at and how good you are personally at that particular job. But if you do not do that, the business will not grow. You will not have the pieces in place to be able to make it work properly. And until you've actually compartmentalized all of those things, and usually a lot of these issues, I would have a bunch of problems on Monday meetings where everyone else would get an assignment and I'd be delegating these assignments, but I wouldn't, I would actually take on an assignment as well because I felt guilty Mm because everyone else was doing things and I was just telling people what to do. When in reality, my job is to know what everyone else is doing. So all those pieces come into me and I can think about it and then figure out strategically where we need to go next. So that's basically my job. And that sounds like a bit of a cop out. You know, I'm not the person that like, I just gave a really crappy assignment to somebody where I needed them to pull. Yes. <laughs> I needed them to pull email templates out of MailChimp and then put them into ConvertKit and reorganize them. And I needed them to do 800 of those. <laughs> That's a crappy job, right? Yes. I'm not going to do that job. But if I do do that job, the company is not growing because then I can't think about, well, why are we even doing this? Why am I moving them over to ConvertKit? Am I getting extra deliverability there? Hmm, maybe I should research both of these options. Looks like I'm getting an extra 10% deliverability off of ConvertKit. Off of our email list, which is a million people, it looks like I'll make an extra half million to million dollars just from sending emails over the next year if we do this. So that's kind of what I need to think about and then assign the task to that particular individual. And I think for people that are listening, I mean, you might be at, maybe you're hiring one person, maybe you're at a thousand people, but if you're not thinking in that way, I don't think you're going to succeed. And I've seen this time and time again with successful entrepreneurs, the ability to delegate and systematize is basically the entire game. Once you are out of what I would call like the entrepreneurial side of the business Mm -hmm. getting from zero to one yeah no that's great and uh i mean it sounds like sounds like you've not only like lived it right and teaching it and and talking about it as well um one thing that came to mind and and i just want to go on to the point as you grew uh, into that entrepreneur 
to that executive. Is there a point where you foresee perhaps that you've plateaued as as an executive? And maybe, as you mentioned, you're not an expert as an executive, right? So maybe you're at 50 million ARR, but how do we get to 100? Like, do you ever think about that, Liam, and that like, oh, there might be a chance where I'm going to bring in a CEO to Absolutely. Help, help guide this stuff. And and how far how far out do you think you're going to do that? So it really depends. I've actually, we tried to test this quite a bit. <clears throat> um, there's a lot of data that suggests that if a founder is not leading the company in some respect, um, the chance of failure for that company over a 10-year period goes up by like 70%. Wow. So there's a significant and, and I think at the end of the day, it is, um, they, they talk, they call it founder magic, which is just the ability to be able to come in and do what you really want to do because you're very passionate about what you're doing. And I think that very few executives and none that I've been able to meet have that same level of passion for the business that I do. And there is a significant monetary advantage for me. Uh, so I'm in the, I mean, I have the perspective of saying, well, I could have someone replace me Mm -hmm. and that's perfectly fine because I still have all the equity. So the business still succeeds. I I still get the advantages from that. But, you know, if you're going to bring in a CEO, maybe you're going to bring in a CEO for half a point, one point. Well, you know, that's really great. Well, it's it depends on what you're going to, you know, are you going to get that person that's really great? Are they, have they gone from eight figures to nine figures? Right. I mean, you know, a CEO of that level, if that were me and I get 1%, man, maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe (laughs) I want to run my own thing because I can, right. I can go from, uh, if, if I brought something, let's say if I built three companies from zero to eight figures, the chance of me being able to do it again is very high. Um, all of this all of this data that they have about how um, they say that failure is good is actually really bad. It's, it's bad advice. If you fail in building a company, generally your chances of succeeding goes down rather than up. Um, and so I see a lot of these guys that have won and they've maybe they've sold their companies or they've been on a founding team two or three times and they've gone from zero to seven or zero to eight figures the chance of them being able to do that is probably way higher than someone that's brand new or someone that raised $10 million and it didn't work out. Yeah. So those guys are like, you know, that's a half a million dollar employee in my opinion. And it's a very, (laughs) that's a very difficult person to hire. Um, And they would have to be very passionate about your project and what you're planning on doing to really get out there and, and be at the same level that a founder would. Small business owners, TrueShield can prepare you for the unexpected with the right insurance coverage. For example, phishing is a cybercrime that tricks you into revealing sensitive information. Phishing occurs as a phone call, text, or email. And small businesses are the target for half of all email scammers. The result can be damage to your reputation, data leaks, legal trouble, and financial loss. True Shield Cyber Risk Insurance helps protect your small business from certain financial losses so phishing won't affect your bottom line. Learn more about cyber risk insurance today online at trueshield.ca. 
wanted to quickly talk about remote employees and remote workers and building those remote teams. I mean, specifically because that's what you specialize in, in terms of the services and the products that you brought to market. But from my understanding, you've also built this as well. So for the listeners, I'd like it like some of, if you could share some of the the difficult decisions as you were growing and scaling a remote team and sort of what maybe you would do differently now and maybe you've taught this many times or talked about it now like what would you do different now and 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 how hmm in what context cuz there's a whole bunch of things that I would probably I mean, not do differently. Yeah, I mean, I would I would talk about like really like how do you manage and understand what the day to day and keeping everyone in line with the vision of of the business and accountability. So here's here's something that I want to kind of jump on a little bit. You, you know, the the vision and culture, right? Does anyone really know what culture is? Like, if you were to define it, what what is culture? Um, to me, it's a shared group of interests a particular group of people have. And this word culture, I mean, there's so many books that are written about company culture. And I actually think at the end of the day, that's bullshit. At the end of the day, honestly, it's like, build a really good product that people really like, that people want to buy. And that's like 85% of a successful software business. And I'm just talking about a software business. Um, Culture is probably like, you know, you you see, uh, well, WeWork's about to go public, right? I don't know if you've read the S1 filing, but I did uh, because it's connected to remote work and I'm very interested in that particular subject. And they have lost 1.8 billion in the last year. They spent 1.9 billion to lose 1.8 billion. And they are asking for a valuation of $47 billion. And when they talk about it all the way through their S1 filing, they talk about culture and how that's their secret sauce. And that's what's going to make them successful as a tech company. And I think that they just don't really understand what that term means. Um, To me, I think that when I think about, when I think about culture, at least in, in terms of our remote team, it's like, what do we stand for as a company? So we're really big about quantitative data. So we prove anything through quantitative means. Um, we're very passionate about trying to empower everyone on planet Earth to be able to work wherever they want, whenever they want. So that's a fundamental component of who we are. And that's why we would do things like the Running Remote Conference, as an example, which has nothing to do with software fundamentally. I mean, it really is not a positive ROI when you think about where to put our money, but we're very passionate about trying to figure out that that mission and uh, bring that fruition, bring that mission to fruition. So that's kind of what we have as culture. But that could also just as easily make us unsuccessful. What we should probably do is we should probably sell like super spy focused software for Fortune 100 companies that we could easily do and probably make a lot more money in the short term. But we don't really want to do that. We want to do this. So, I mean, yeah, I I think about that. I don't like this word culture that's used all the time because everyone talks about how they have it. And if everyone has it and is so good at it, then why are they not all successful? Yeah. 
<laughs> that's that's really interesting. I love I love the way you you frame that. And interestingly enough, I mean, many of my guests really talk about culture For or sure. the entrepreneur, everybody, or the entrepreneur, or the entrepreneur that got to that two hundred employee level, and that's the only thing they're focusing on now, right? Because they have their executive team in place, and and let's let's just focus on culture and bringing the right people that uh, fit the culture that we have made and created. So it's really interesting, and I love how you have that flip side and just really got me thinking in terms of even like how to frame those <laughs> next time someone brings that up as well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you look at a whole bunch that. of companies right now. Um, who was the top competitor to Slack that was run by Atlassian? Um, yeah, HipChat. HipChat. Okay. So you got HipChat. Yeah. yeah. Atlassian has great culture. Fantastic mm-hmm. culture, right? Why did Slack clean their clock? Crush it. Right? Yeah. Why? Did Slack have better culture? Did they have a much more powerful culture engine than, you know, than, than hip chat. Um, no, I don't think so. I think they had a better product. I think it was almost the same. I think, yeah. And they were pretty close in terms of the product. But yeah. A, the product was more superior. Here's another example. Uber horrific yeah. culture, horrific culture. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't know if you've talked to Uber employees. I have, they hate working at Uber. Everyone hates working at Uber. They're really bad to women. Uh, and um, they've made a couple of those changes recently, but like there were some deep fundamental problems inside of that company, and there probably still are. Um, Amazon is another one, probably one of the worst companies you could possibly work for in terms of culture. They burn people out faster than any other large tech company in the industry. Um, but they, you know, they, 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 they're very successful. Why are they successful? Well, because I think they have a good product. Yeah, and to and to add to that, I just read an article on how you know the gaming culture really burns out their developers and their programmers just to hit a launch date. Um, Absolutely, which is super interesting because everyone everyone wants to work for a gaming company, right? I, I just feel the the terminology. You know, when I think culture is for people that are trying to figure out why their product isn't good enough, and I think that they should spend less time paying attention to their culture and they should spend more time iterating on their product. Basically that's, that's kind of the, I I think the reasons everyone talks about how the reason why companies succeed is culture. And then one year later when we work is in the dust and completely obliterated. And I'm telling you on this Mm -hmm. podcast right now, I don't know what it is. It's, it's September of uh, 2019 by September of 2020, we work, will have completely collapsed. It will be in receivership at this, at this time. Um, and then they'll all be blaming WeWork's culture. And now they're all yeah. saying it's fantastic. So, I mean, you know, that's, it's, it's really the fundamentals of, do you have a good product? Can you sell it for a reasonable return? And how can you take the market and not let your competitors know that you're taking it? I think that's really boils down to the, and there's a great book, Peter Thiel, Zero to One, that really identifies this beautifully. I mean, he doesn't really talk about culture. Uh, it's one of those things that he leaves out of the book. He's like, listen, what you need to do is build a monopoly as quickly as humanly possible in comparison to your competitors. And every large tech company over the last 20 years has really focused on that singular aspect, which is how can I take a market, get in there first, expand out into the market in time to be able to take everyone out and no one can stop me. And I mean, that's Amazon, that's Apple, that's Google, that's, you know, these are the companies, Facebook, 
you know, like right now, Facebook owns 80% of social media, which is nuts when you think about it. 80% of the so- of social media interactions happen on Facebook <laughs> or Instagram, right? Like all the assets that they own. They're completely dominant in that industry. And, the, and I mean, Facebook doesn't have a good culture. Um, I, I don't think people, if you polled a whole bunch of people at Facebook, they would probably say they have a pretty bad culture. As we talk about um, remote workers, and I know a lot of business leaders uh, and emerging business leaders who may be listening is, is wondering about efficiencies and how efficient these workers are um, when they're not in the same room. So I'd like to get your thoughts, Liam, on, 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 that, on that topic, on how efficient workers are around the world. Sure. I mean, so our tool fundamentally solves that problem. And that's most, that's pretty much the first question that most companies ask when they want to take their team remote is how do I know what my team is doing? Mm-hmm. So Time Doctor solves that fundamentally. Um, to tunnel down into the data a little bit deeper, on average, remote employees are about 20% more productive on average. And the more important point that most people leave out, which I think is exponentially more advantageous, is they have a 30% higher retention rate. than their on-premise counterparts. And the reason being is, uh, do you know the number one reason why people quit their jobs? Number one, I I mean, I'm willing to bet um, they're bored. No, close. Well, no, not close. Sorry. Uh, It's, uh, it is is inner office politics. They don't like their manager or they don't like their, um, they do not like their coworkers. So remote work really, like solves this problem for a lot of um, for a lot of people, so they're able to not have to interact with those problematic coworkers or managers inside of a remote organization, and therefore increases retention by a significant amount. So on our side, uh, we look at that as dollars and cents, which is anytime you have to fire somebody or someone has to quit. On average, in the United States, it costs forty two thousand dollars to replace them in terms of, you know, finding somebody, retraining them, all that kind of stuff. So just that, if you forget about the cost advantages of even housing, as an example, a remote employee, you're winning um, before you even touch on those other points, which also are huge advantages. And I mean, on our side, probably our payroll is probably, I mean, 30% cheaper, I would say, on average than like, the average tech company in Toronto, and we're still hiring the same level of talent. So it really does give you a huge tactical advantage. If I can grow, my biggest line item is people. If I can cut 30% of those costs and grow as fast as you, eventually I'm going to overtake you if we're talking about, you know, the competitive market. Oh, and that's great. And, and it's definitely a lot to think about in terms of you know, the business leaders who are growing and understanding what type of a com- competitive advantage they want to take as they take on new roles, whether it's in a enterprise space or even a, um, a scaling company, right? Liam, can you, and I'm always interested to this, uh, especially those who are pretty successful in what they're doing, can you name a person who had a tremendous impact as you, as maybe not only as an entre- entrepreneur, but um, as a business leader, uh, someone who you are today? Um, someone that had a tremendous impact on me, boy, um, my supervisor in grad school, probably tremendous impact on me. Um, 
Why do you say that? Uh, the ability to be calm under pressure. Wow. I think that people that are, you know, if, if we were sitting in a coffee shop right now and, uh, three guys came in with AR 15s, we'd probably be pretty stressed. Right. Oh my gosh. My supervisor, perfect example of a guy that's just super calm and collected, you know, would not react um, and when he saw his advantage, when he saw he could possibly turn the entire thing around, he might take that. That's a, those are types of people that I really like to study because it's not me. And I try to get more like those people because, um, the people that have, in essence, it kind of boils down to also discipline. And it's something that I think I do have, but I always want more of it there's a direct correlation between your level of discipline and your level of success. And I have, that's something that I'm constantly trying to strive for. Like you had mentioned that you're going on your, um, uh, you're going on your trip to Berlin for this run, right? Requires a significant amount of discipline to be able to build up those types of the, the training regimen, all these types of things in place to, to kind of get yourself to where you need to be in which you would be able to um, do something like that. And you'd be blown away because I think we're in this bubble of people that generally are very disciplined. Um, most of the world isn't that disciplined. And I think that that's something that I've, I try to find those people and anyone who's more disciplined than me, I really try to find out what makes them tick and see what I can pull out of them to improve myself. Yeah, no, totally. And, and, uh, and thank you for uh, mentioning, I mean, it's going to be my fourth marathon and it's, I'm a student of discipline and how I could get more out of what we're doing today and also enjoy life with my, you know, young family and having a young daughter as well and trying to, trying to live that dream. Right. <laughs> so, but I'm absolutely, uh, I mean, people that can get up, you know, four o'clock in the morning and go out for a run every day. Um, if you put a, if you lined a hundred people up and you said, okay, I'm going to wake up at 4am and we're going to go for a run. How long do you think it would take before you'd be down to, I don't know, below five people oh, out of that group? How very many, how very many easy. <laughs> very quickly. Right. I, I mean, I probably within four to five days, you'd be down to under five people out of a hundred. And so those are the people, when you look at all, all the data connected to just general success, not just in entrepreneurship, but in life, it's, those, it's that 5%. Those are the people that you really want to align yourself with and um, interact with and learn from because those are the people that are going to improve your life and make you a lot more successful. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, Liam, given, I mean... Given the topic in terms of discipline and improving yourself, and and also the you know the vertical the expertise that you're in, I'm wondering. I'm really curious, like if you have any new productivity routines, hacks, systems that you personally learned that that's helping you, I guess, move the needle forward in terms of whether it's discipline, productivity, um, anything part in your life. You know, one of the things that I've been doing, and it's so simple, uh, and I've been loving it lately, is I have been turning my to-do list, <clears throat> I've basically been turning my calendar into my to-do list. Mm-hmm. So, like, I didn't miss this meeting, right? 
you showed up for this time. I had it scheduled in my calendar. You had it scheduled and we had everything put together. And I said, okay, well, I'm not going to miss Edwin's meeting because I want to make sure that I'm there and I've, and, and I know what I'm doing. Right. Well, why don't you do that for like everything? Why don't you just <laughs> say, well, it's now time to do Facebook ads and you're going to sit down and do Facebook ads for two hours and you're yes. not going to do other things other than Facebook ads. And for me, I use time doctor. So also if I end up getting distracted, I can just say, well, I'm only going to work on Facebook ads. And if I go to anything else, any other browser window, I'll have a pop-up that will say, Hey, I thought you were working on Facebook ads. Maybe you should go back and actually, you know, get back to work. Um, so we, we have like the, the, the software that we've built, helps people stay productive. But fundamentally, I think the big aha moment for me was blocking out my time and making time for myself as sacred as and, and treat it with the same level of respect that I do for chatting with you. That's a, I mean, that's a big thing. And just for me to add, I time block um, typically everything from the working day, which includes my training. It's blocked there in my calendar because I respect the time um, that I need to put in to ensure that I run a marathon and be strong for it, right? And then there's right. time blocks for everything. Um, and it's huge. And it's I'm one of those things like time block. <laughs> people brush their teeth and take showers, hopefully daily. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, th and it's one of these things that we just do, right? But you could also say, I'm going to run, you know, 10 kilometers every day. Yes. I'm going to block it out here and I'm going to do it. Why don't people do it? Well, I don't know. It's, it's actually one of those things that I think about quite a lot when I think about where I was putting my time. And um, I think one of the major barriers for me, I'm doing something now where I'm trying to do um, push-ups every day. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to do one more push up per day. So I, I think I started at like 30 push ups. Yeah. And it's been two weeks. And I think I'm around 40 push ups now. And it's just a fun game that I'm playing with myself to see yes. how high I can get. Mm -hmm. And um, I just have something that rings on my phone. And I, I had to do it at a Starbucks um, because it was just like, that's where I had to do it. So I'm, I'm that. that kind of, I'm that kind of weird person that just sort of chooses those times and just says, that's the time to do it. I got to do it at this time because otherwise I'll forget yeah. and it just doesn't work its way into my schedule. Yeah. And it passed and it passed, right? You're like, okay, it's passed now. So let's, let's get to the next task, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm loving this conversation, Liam. And you know what? We have so much things in common in terms of the, the things that we're trying to strive for. I'm, I'm really having a blast. Um, but bef uh, before we slowly end, Liam, I'd love to get maybe some final thoughts from you, observations. Ideally, what, what I'd like to share to the listeners is some type of actionable item um, that you could instill or some wisdom to the, to the emerging business leader, whether they're entrepreneur or, uh, or, or, or an executive um, that's listening today. Hmm. Well, I would say if you're in the one to 10 range. So first off, if you're not remote, give it a shot. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> one of the best ways to be able to do it is to just set up a singular employee inside of your company get them to go remote. If you are that employee inside of your organization and you want to enter entrepreneurship, go and talk to your manager and say, hey, we would li I'd like to work remotely. Here's what I'm going to do. Here are the metrics that I'm going to measure. Here, you know, here are all the KPIs that we have and um, I'm going to improve upon them when I work from home. That will free you up 
at least two hours a day to be able to work on your own stuff, which will be mm-hmm. great. Uh, but if you are the employer, <clears throat> one to 10, get one of those employees, do the same thing, experiment. Uh, it's not as scary as you think it is. And then if you're in the 10 to 100 range, I think if you have not embraced remote work at this point, you should definitely try it out. And then also too, I think you should really kind of look inside yourself and say, am I an entrepreneur at this point or am I an executive? And where am I at in that trajectory? And maybe I should start the transition over to something that is um, that is more executive-like for the company to grow and don't feel guilty about it. <clears throat> Just because you're spending your day telling other people what to do doesn't mean you're not necessarily working. It means that you are putting everyone else's thoughts inside of your brain so that you can be successful um, in moving the business forward to the next level. No, that's great. Um, to close, Liam, and I know you mentioned it a number of times that I'd love it if you could um, let us know where we can find more information about you, um, your companies, or, or anything else you'd like to share with us today. Sure. So, um, timedoctor.com, you can try out a 14-day trial of that. If you're really interested in remote work, go to runningremote.com. It's the biggest conference on building and scaling remote teams. Next one is going to be happening in Austin, Texas, which I'm really excited about. And um, if you're interested in interacting with me personally, one of the things that I've been doing recently, which is another project, is uh, working on YouTube. So if you go to youtube.com slash running remote, if you put in a comment or you ask me a question on there, I will get back to you within hours. It's probably the social media that I'm paying the most attention to at this point. Because I actually believe that uh, YouTube is one of the best forms of social media that you can use today, particularly if you run a business. So I'm trying to learn everything I possibly can about it. Very cool. Definitely put the links up on the episode webpage. But Liam, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Business Leadership Podcast today. Thanks for having me. That's it, Biz Leaders. Thank you for joining me on the Business Leadership Podcast. This was episode number 126 with Liam Martin. If you want to learn more about Liam, timedoctorstaff.com, running remote conference, or anything else that we discuss, please go to thebusinessleadership.com slash 126. Join me on my private Facebook group where I will discuss this episode, answer your questions, and connect you with other like-minded business leaders. Simply search for the Business Leadership Group directly in Facebook. Thank you again to today's sponsor, True Shield Insurance, Canada's most trusted insurer for entrepreneurs and small businesses. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe, rate, and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening today. Thank you again. Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com. Help me.